Hello, brethren, and welcome back to a new start in this series, the last of our three epistles, the pastoral epistles. I'm very excited today, and by the way, I'm so glad that you uh, can be here with me and find time to really look at the pastoral epistles again and how God views uh, his pastors, his under-shepherds, to take care of his people, to feed his flock, to lead them by example and word, to be courageous. Uh, you know, like the word says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I'm just so thankful that you are with me. Today we start the second epistle of Timothy, the last book in our series. We've already gone through First Timothy, Titus, and now Second Timothy. And I'm just so thankful again that, that you're with me. This epistle, amongst uh, the other three, or the other two, excuse me, as I said before, just is wonderful because you could see the, the fever in which Paul, uh, as he's nearing his martyrdom, he's uh, speaking to his young pastor, Timothy, and you can really start to see where he, again, sees his martyrdom, and he sees and he proclaims the seriousness of not only proclaiming the Word of God for what it is, the Word of God, but being fearless, seeing the day of apostasy approaching, seeing these false teachers and seeing this false doctrine, and yet resounds with the fact that, Timothy, get your life in order with the Lord Jesus Christ, have intimate fellowship with him and feed on him, and in turn you will be equipped by God himself to feed those that he puts in front of you. So let's get started with this epistle. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, let's just read a few verses down, and then we'll just relax and, and discuss them and enjoy some time together. Um, I hope you have a cup of coffee or whatever makes you comfortable, and let's get into the second epistle. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Those first two, verse, uh, two verses in chapter 1 say so much. Um, you know, in this day and age when it seems that size, money, prestige, uh, are the name of the game. We see in the first uh, verse here that Paul was called an apostle. He wasn't a self-appointed apostle. He wasn't someone that thought, well, this is what I should do. He was called of Jesus Christ. We see that in Acts chapter 9. And yet, he says it's by the will of God. But listen, to, look at this real close. It says, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. He's not going around and proclaiming... Uh, you know, an addition to life, or how to make your life wonderful, or how to gain advantage with God, or how to get what you want, or as we, we hear so much now, your best life now, and so forth. No, he's been called an apostle, or one with a message that's sent out with a message from God himself, and that message is life, eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's why he's sent, and that's why we're sent, brethren, not to go out and sound good, although, you know, there's some great orators out there. But we are out to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Life indeed. You know, again, I bring this up so much, but I hope that you remember and memorize 
our verse, John chapter 5, verse 24. He said that they've passed from death into life. And that is the thrust of our ministry. And it's amazing to know that even as Paul was nearing martyrdom, the world loathed death. The Apostle Paul embraced it because he knew that to be in the body is absent from the Lord, but to be out of the body is to be present with him. And he says our mission is to grab as many people as we can, snatch as many people as we can, uh, Jude would say in his epistle, out of the fire. This is very important. He said to Timothy, a beloved son, verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace. I love that, don't you? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. These grace, mercy, and peace are directly from God. I want to read you something that I I posted a while back uh, in one of our pages, but I just want to read it to again about grace. And this is a true story. It comes from a uh, man many, many years ago. Listen to this. This is a great story that I hope will illustrate grace, and we'll go through mercy and peace, and then we'll we'll, uh, really get into our text. But an old Indian, after living many years in sin, was led to Christ by a missionary. Friends asked him to explain the change in his life. Reaching down, he picked up a little worm and placed it on a pile of leaves. Then, touching a match to the leaves, he watched them smolder and burst into flames. As the flames worked their way up to the center where the worm lay, the old chief suddenly plunged his hand into the center of the burning pile and snatched out the worm. Holding the worm gently in his hand, he gave this testimony to the grace of God. Me, that worm. Brethren, that is grace. Grace is when we're in the fire and sin and heading for a crisis eternity and heading to judgment. God had mercy upon us and flooded us with the grace of Christ. Mercy opened the floodgates of grace. And we see that the mercy is like the scripture says that the mercy of God endures forever and ever, or in Lamentations three twenty-one. That's that's because of the mercy of the Lord we are not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness; they're new every morning. And thus we logically come into our third great concept, and that is peace. So we have the grace of God that saved us, the mercy that opened the floodgates of grace, and peace, which came because of this. You know, because of Jesus Christ, uh, brethren. We not only have peace with God, praise the Lord, the war is over, our sins are forgiven, we're reconciled to God, but now it is our privilege to have the peace of God. The Bible says that surpasses all understanding. That is an amazing concept, and Paul is is so faithful into uh, bringing that out in his epistles and explaining them to them, because, you know, in this day and age, when Christianity is uh, being redefined, being watered down, uh, what have you. It is so interesting that the Bible stands true through the ages on what the grace of God really is, His mercy, and how do we find peace. I think that everybody, regardless of nationality, uh, race, um, you know, wants peace, and we have the key to peace. 
He goes on in verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you day and night in my prayers. I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. First of all, he says he serves God with a pure conscience. You know, the late Walter Martin said something, you could be sincere, but yet be sincerely wrong. Now, his forefathers were, were astute in Judaism. They were astute in the law. Paul himself was a Pharisee. And I don't have time this morning, but if you go to Philippians chapter 3, you'll see how steeped in his religion he was. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, you know, as concerning the law, blameless. And, and then he goes on to say, but these things I count as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You know, it's like the writer of the Hebrews says that, you know, Judaism was fading away. Uh, when Christ came, he abolished the first and set the second, the, the eternal covenant, the new covenant. And so as they were fervent in their uh, religion and Judaism, you know, his, Paul's forefathers, and they served it the best that they could, but yet they were ignorant of things to come. And so was Paul until the Lord Jesus seized him on the road and, and gave him the truth. We see it in John chapter 1, verse 17. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And he said, as I serve you this way, and I pray for you day and night, I don't cease. Because see, those that, that God had sent Paul the minister, he took it seriously. Do we take it seriously, brethren? Do we remember those that are in front of us day and night with tears? You know, it's so fun today to say, oh, brother, I'll pray for you. There's such a pat quote. But do we really? True, genuine prayer is done in secret, as the Lord Jesus said. Praying for those, whether they ask for it or not. Building them up in the most holy faith. He says in verse 4, greatly desiring to see you. Wow. Greatly desiring to see you. Being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Paul's joy was seeing the maturity and the growth in faith mixed with joy of the people that he was involved with. That was his joy. In fact, he called his the ones that he taught and the ones that he ministered to his crown and his joy when the Lord Jesus we revealed. Look at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, he's talking to Timothy now, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in you also. Now he's going to use the word persuaded again in verse 12. We'll get to that. That's a strong affirmation. He is persuaded. In other words, he is fully convinced. And he, you know, um, in Romans, we have in Romans chapter 14, verse 5, an interesting verse that says, let each man be fully convinced or fully persuaded in his own mind. And he was talking in that brief chapter in, in Romans chapter 14 of, you know, some eat vegetables, some don't, some regard a day, some don't, some do this and that, but be fully persuaded. So for Paul, that was a very uh, fitting way to affirm in his own mind and to others that he was convinced beyond all shadow of a doubt. You know, I just want to uh, put something across right now. Uh, are we people of conviction? 
Are we persuaded, convinced beyond all shadow and all reasoning that what we are doing is of eternal value? We're not wasting our time. If we abound in the work of the Lord, we're not, even, we're not wasting our time. When we feed the Word of God by not only example, but by, by the administering of our teaching, we're doing it for an eternal purpose. And we see that when it goes on to verse 6, it says, Therefore, okay, he is fully persuaded, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir it up. Fan it into flame. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift that is in you. You know, a powerful uh, passage and chapters in Ephesians chapter 4 let me just read that real quick, because sometimes we we get uh, a little bit complacent, I would say, in our calling. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see the fact that when it says, I'll start in verse 8, Therefore he says, when you ascended on high, you led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. There's that word gifts to men. Now in this he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth. Now listen to these, brethren. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, and he might fill all things in all. He himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Listen to this. Till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, mature man, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about by the trickery of the wind of doctrine, of every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and their cunning plotting. You know, it's it's pretty appropriate. I was visited, I don't know, a couple weeks ago by, by a Jehovah's Witness, um, which I have... Dealt with many, many, many times in my in in my ministry in the years of being a Christian, but you know I'm I'm absolutely astounded at the years and years and years that their false doctrine, their false prophet uh, Charles Taz Russell, uh, and all these things that they have been proven and shown to be false prophets. Um, I don't think of any more uh, other than the Mormons, uh, people that go around that, that most people that aren't even even religious at all know that they are false. They have false doctrine. They are a phony sect, if you will. Some even call them a cult. I certainly do. And yet, there are there are thousands around the world daily that are persuaded, that are influenced by their false teaching. And you start to see the importance. That's just one example, the importance of a pastor, one who teaches the Word of God correctly, and um, to take the gift and the calling, getting back into our passage in, in chapter 1, verse 6 of Second Timothy, remind you to stir up that gift of God. And look what he says in verse 7. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. Wow. Really? A sound mind. 
You know, I um, I can't underestimate in my teaching or in my reasoning of how much a sound mind is a stalwart and a sure sign that God is with us. Remember Stephen? Um, I believe it was in it was in Acts uh, chapter seven, and, and we could carry on the whole thing into, into eight and nine, where where the Lord meets. Uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, which, by the way, Paul was standing by as Stephen, the first martyr, was being stoned in agreement. But we see in that passage in Acts uh, 7, I believe it is, where Stephen was talking to uh, the religious leaders, and the Bible says they could not contradict him. They could not refute his logic. He was talking of a sound mind. Let me um, let me, let me me speak something to you um, uh, in the Proverbs, in Proverbs 16. And uh, verse 32, he says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Listen to this. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. That's twice mentioned in the Proverbs about ruling your spirit. And if you don't rule your spirit, it's like a broken down wall. But here in this proverb that I'm quoting here, he said, And he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. We rule it. We have a sound mind. The New Testament talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take charge of it. Be confident. Um, you know, You know. have a, a steadfast mind. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Know what you believe. Be committed to what you believe. We're going to come into a, a verse here in a little bit, verse 12, talking about Paul explains that. Um, and it's a wonderful, wonderful day when, when you sit under somebody that, that has a devoted devout, steadfast, immovable mind, ruling his own spirit and the word of God and teaching it and letting it demonstrate in his own life. And what a benefit it is. I, I'll never forget uh, the first pastor I sat under. He is still my pastor to this day. Through almost 33 years ago, his name is Brian Larson. I only sat under him for about a year and a half until I moved on. But he, in that year, brethren, so much instilled in me. God used him specifically to instill in me the joy, the seriousness, the absolute certainty of not only the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, but the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He set the precedent uh, for my ministry, and uh, I will forever be grateful to that man. God wants men that are committed to him that will that will reach to no depths in proclaiming the word of God. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. When when Paul was coming back to the to the uh, the church in Corinth after that horrible incident where you know the man that was a member of that church committed you know. Incest, you know, had his father's wife and so forth. And after he said it, you know, when he comes back, because he had repented, came back and accept him. You know, affirm your love for him, lest you have sorrow upon sorrow. But he was coming back and visiting them because he wanted to see not the words. You know, we a lot of people have great words regarding Christianity, but the power. He wanted to see the power in the life. He also would write in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So we have 
in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He goes on to say in verse 8, brethren, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Look at verse 9, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You know, brethren, for those that know the word of God and have gotten into the word of God and allowed it to get into them, there is one thing that we see over and over again regarding the true Christian life, which is not only embodied in scriptures such as one we have before us, but Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the light that I live, I live by works. No, no, no. The life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. Here we have again, Lord, that the Lord says that not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Wow, that is just amazing to me. Because we are going to be a showcase for all eternity of the grace that God has has provided and has raised us up with Christ. For all eternity, we are going to be shown to the universe and all created beings of the grace and the loveliness that God showed us according to that grace. Listen to this. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principles and powers of heavenly places. Known to the church. The church makes known. Why? How can the church make known the wisdom and the love and the power of God and the tremendous mercy by living and relishing in God's grace? Realizing that, that through grace that Christ has revealed himself, saved us, It was none of our works, lest any man should boast. Wow, and that happened. That was in uh, God's mind before time began. Look at verse 10. It says, But now it's been revealed again by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let me say something real quick here about what I mentioned a moment ago about um, Jehovah's Witness came to my door and he said, well, let's let's talk about something that we do have in common. And I said, you know, we don't have anything in common because Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And I asked him, I said, in that cornerstone, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh? And he said, no. I said, well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? And he said, yes. I said, well, how are you saved? And he said, by the blood of Jesus. I said, no, you're not. Because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, then you are not saved. You're still in your sins. And our verse here, brethren, now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll give you one example. You can go back to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. Isaiah 43, 11. Remember where God proclaims that he is the Lord God and that he is the only Savior? 
the only Savior. Let me read that out uh, word by word. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. Now, if God the Lord is the Savior, and we have Jesus Christ being uh, heralded as the Savior, we don't have two Saviors. We have one Savior, and that is God. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Most of us take that for example, or for granted that have been in the faith, praise God, as we should. But are we able to defend that? Are we able to come against that Jehovah's Witness that came into the door? And more importantly, brethren, are we teaching that to our people? That God places before us. Remember our passage in Ephesians 4. We want to mature so that they don't be persuaded to and fro with every wind of doctrine. This is a major doctrine. That these people go around, unsuspecting people, and they, they, they say, that oh, Jesus he wasn't God in human flesh. He was a God. In fact, it goes so as far if you press them and say that he was Michael the Archangel before his, his incarnation. So, ah, we need to realize that he is the only one. And by the way, in our passage here, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, do you know that only God can bring forth life? Only God can. God can take it away and God gives it. And if Jesus Christ is our Savior and he's the one that abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, then we better give heed, brethren, and be able to, to refute those that say that our precious Savior was not God in human flesh. Wow. You know what Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. Persuaded. Let's go on. Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Paul knew who he was. Do you know who you are? You are not only Christian, born again by the power of God, but if you are a dedicated, as I hope and pray that you are, listening to these messages, pastor, that take your calling seriously. Seriously. And you're persuaded as well. Look at verse 12. This is one I alluded to earlier. Again, he's going to use that persuaded just like he did in verse 5. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that what I have committed to him until that day. For I know. You know the Bible uh, is a book of knowing. For the one who has faith in Jesus Christ and has been born of God, born from above by faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen on his behalf, the Bible is a book of knowing. You know, and I can, I, one of the uh, scriptures that really comes to my mind, uh, and there's many of them, I, it's not my purpose here to dwell, to, you know, dwell on, on all that the Bible says about knowing, but I want to give you one example. In 1 John 5.13, the apostle writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, some years ago, 
as I was teaching on on this passage, I said, I want to I want to say this uh, this passage to you, and and I want to see if you can point out the error in it. And I said, and this is the testimony, quoting First uh, John five thirteen. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may hope that you have eternal life. And do you know, brethren, out of out of the people that were sitting before me, only one or two knew that knew where the error was of the misquote I just said? Listen closely. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, not hope, but that you may know that you have eternal life. Paul here is just saying he's not being arrogant, he's just playing biblical fact. Back into our text in Second Timothy one twelve. For I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. I believe that Jesus Christ hung on the cross, that he took this my sin and paid the penalty and, and, and for it, and that by raising from the dead he is now my Savior, proof not only that God has accepted him as, as a perfect sacrifice on my behalf, but that now that he has risen is proof that my sins are gone, and I know whom I have believed. And he says, I am persuaded that he is able to keep. That's assurance, brethren, what I have committed to him until that day. You see that word committed? That's the hymns that we're looking at in this verse. Committed. Committed our life no matter what. Jesus said, those that that are going, that put their hand to the plow and they look back, they're not worthy and fit for the kingdom of God. Brethren, are you committed let your people know how committed you are. Demonstrate commitment. Be committed. And be persuaded that he is able with, he is powerful enough to keep that which you have committed unto that day. This hold fast, verse 13, the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now that's interesting that he would say from me. You know, the Apostle Paul, when you're committed and you're persuaded, and you're walking with Christ no matter what, listen to what the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said, imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Talking back to my first pastor, I, I was so young in the Lord, and uh, and yet I knew that this man even then, was was placed in my life for a reason. And the sound words uh, and the faith and the love that, that was shown to a young person like me, a young man of, of uh, 22 years of age, um, the love and the faith that were in Christ Jesus was just an incredible power that not only impacted my life, but has stood with me to this day. Look at verse 14. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. That good thing. That not only salvation, he began a good work in you, will finish until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1, 6. But, but the, the, the gift of, of pastoring, the gift of, of shepherding, that was committed to him. He said, keep by the Holy Spirit which indwells you. Don't let anybody try to rob you of your joy. Don't let anybody try to tell you that 
things that you believe are of nothing or, or what have you. You be persuaded. You be solid. You be full of love. You be full of the word of God. Let it dwell within you richly. What Paul says in verse 15, he says, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, now, you know, verse 15 is an is a interesting verse, I think, brethren, in this, this chapter here. Why would Paul say that? If you've experienced people that have, have turned away from you, people that maybe have turned against you, Maybe maybe have done something and you felt like you've been you know um, lied to or or people that have been played the traitor towards you or what have you especially in your ministry. Paul was fully convinced. Paul was fully persuaded. Paul fully believed and he fully knew who not only he who he was but who he was in the Lord and who his Lord was. And he was persuaded that he was able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Even when those turn away from you, even as in this verse he says that all in Asia have turned away from me, he is still fully persuaded. He's not rocked. I remember my same pastor asking if, if, if it came to the point where all around you that you knew that you thought Christians would, would turn away and walk away from their faith, would you? Or would you be strengthened and encouraged in the Lord? That's what David did. When David and so many of his assaults were being surrounded, he strengthened himself and encouraged himself in the Lord. That's why that's there, I believe. You know, the Word of God is perfect. He knows that those out there of his pastors and his under-shepherds will feel like this, will feel like they have been uh, deserted, turned away from. I have felt this, brethren, And I'm now more persuaded than ever because the Scripture was my mainstay. The Scripture was my food. The Lord Jesus Christ was my fellowship. You know, I was told one time, and I believe it, you know, if there was nobody for a spell that you can have fellowship with, have fellowship with the prophets in the writings of God. Have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this, and I I will go on. You know, talking about fellowship, you know, you realize our chief fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Listen to what John says in his first epistle. He said, That which we heard from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was manifest to the Father and to us. They, had, they saw the Lord. They've been with the Lord. Listen to what John says. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you. Why? so that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And He said, these things I write to you, that your joy may be full. What did Jesus say? He wanted His joy to be in us so that our joy would be full. So when we're fully committed to Christ, when we're fully, uh, when we're fully persuaded that He's able to keep that, and our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will never leave us or forsake us, then we go to a verse at verse 15, and we get comfort, actually, from that verse. He says, you know, all in Asia turned aside from me. But in verse 16, he says, The Lord grant mercy to the households of Onesimus, 
for he often refreshed me and was not afraid or ashamed, excuse me, of my chain. He goes on, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day, and you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. You know, one thing we know, brethren, that our work in the Lord is always uh, of value. It is always of eternal value, and the Lord sees everything that we do um, for him. So I want to encourage you today as we've gone through this first chapter to not only uh, be mindful of the grace, mercy, and peace from God himself, what these mean, but to stir up that gift which is in you. Um, If you've been slack, come to the Lord. He knows that. If you need strength, come to the Lord. He knows you need it. Um, Remember that he's given us um, not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Remember that we have not only been saved because of God's grace, you know, but we've been called according to his grace and his mercy. And he's the one that ordains uh, who he wants to, to teach his word and, and to pastor. We need to realize that Christ Jesus is the Savior. He's the Lord from heaven. And we, we need passages like Isaiah 43, 11 and so forth to as proof passages of that there's only one Savior and the Lord claims to be it. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Um, to know these things, to be persuaded of these things and to teach these things, ah, oh, wow, what a joy it is. Well, I've spent enough time on this first chapter, brethren, and I hope that it's been of a value to you and I know that I've enjoyed it enjoy our times together and um, I'm anticipating uh, anxiously our, our next visit and when we get into chapter 2 uh, of Second Timothy talking about that wonderful grace so much and um, until then I just pray that God would, would uh, fill you with joy as you read his word as you take his word uh, as it is, the word of God, every word of God is pure. And as you rest in him and have him lead you through your day-to-day life. I thank you for um, answering your calling. I thank you for taking it seriously. And until next time, God bless you, brethren.